Welcome to the 27th episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. On today's episode, we are featuring Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Spoilers are between the 33rd and the 1 hour 19 minute marks. We discuss how the author used this novel to highlight both prejudice and ignorance when it comes to people's sexuality and race. We also get into how well it was written and the realism that is shown throughout the characters. And we end with our grading and usual segments. So with that, let's hear it. Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 27th episode of the ADC Pod, the adult book club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell and she is Taja. Hi. Hi. On today's episode, we are featuring Razorblade Tears, a novel by S.A. Cosby. This is another instance where I got a physical copy that I read and Taja got um, listened to the audiobook. So we will get into that discussion. But first, it has been four weeks. I didn't mark that in the notes, but let's remember it's been four (laughs) weeks since we last met. So uh, let's give you a rundown of what's been happening and I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go first this time because the reason it's been four weeks is my fault. So as avid listeners know to the show on our last episode, we told you it was going to be three weeks because we had our camping trip in our normal interval of two weeks and we hadn't seen each other or our friends in about eight or ten months so we weren't gonna make them stop so we could record a podcast so we decided we push it off but since we made that announcement to when we were going to do it i found out that my dad was going to have surgery down in florida and uh, a lengthy recovery so i decided to come down to florida if you're watching on the youtube we never post you'll see that i'm in a very different <laughs> room than i normally am trying to be as quiet as possible with this voice and uh basically what ended up happening was my dad's surgery was on the day we were going to record so i've been down here for a week now a week and a day um helping out my mom and helping out my dad with his recovery and uh yeah so we had to push it off an extra week i do apologize it was obviously my fault but uh, we are glad to be back with you guys and talk about this book. So I've given the explanation. I do have some stories, but Tasha, why don't you jump in and tell us? What no, go. Keep, no, tell me your stories. Tell you your stories. Okay. Um, I did this time. Last time I came down to Florida, I was with my brother. So that was an interesting drive down. We are still driving because I don't know if you know this or not, but COVID is still a thing. So <laughs> you might not want to get on planes and things like that if you're coming down to somebody who's about to have surgery. So I drove down again this time. I drove down solo. I made it in about 17 hours, which was good. The highlight of the trip was at 5.30 in the morning. I was driving through New York, uh, sorry, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, and a 18-wheeler was on fire. <laughs> yeah. So Just on the side of the road, straight up on fire. Yeah. And it was, uh, it's that part in the Jersey Turnpike where you have the truck side and you have the car side and it looked like fog. And I was like, wow, it's a lot of fog. And then I got closer and I was like, there's flashing lights in that fog. And I was like, and there's orange lights in that fog. And yeah, the whole back of the truck was, uh, in flames. So that was, uh, absolutely crazy. Was there like emergency personnel on the scene? There were. People were there trying to put it out. It wasn't like a fresh fire. No, it was not quite a fresh fire, (laughs) um, but it was still ongoing. So that was my excitement of five seconds where I'm like, oh, and I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) Moving back along. 
So yeah, so that was the excitement from that. Aside from that camp this year, camp was incredible. We decided to be the crazy people like on Parks and Rec, if you've ever seen it, where Leslie Nope decides to throw up uh, a whole year of parties in one evening when Anne is moving away. So we hadn't been able to have our usual parties. So we decided to do a year worth of our parties that we normally do within one weekend, which uh, led to a very strict schedule, uh, especially after a minor uh, dosage issue with me and some edibles that knocked me uh, out for all of Saturday night. That what happened? I did not realize that you had partaken. Yes, I tried out some of the candy store and the candy store fought back. Um, wow. Yeah, dead to the world on that one. So then our friends, thankfully, I'm so thankful for you guys, uh, decided to <laughs> pause Saturday night's events and we just cramped Sunday into even I more stuff. I did pretty good, even with the having to shuffle things around. Like, was there anything we actually didn't get to do? No, there's nothing we missed, although we did. We were we supposed to drop the ball. We did play kickball. Uh, we were supposed to drop the New Year's ball every night. We only did it on Friday night. Oh, that was well, a constant. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was a constant like, oh, it's 1230. We missed it. And I have so much champagne at my house now because of that, which is Oh, fine. shoot. Yeah. I um, am really proud of us because Barry and I made it past midnight every night this this year, which is I'm like. Very proud of you, too. Huge, huge. Huge. And then the other news from that was we had a makeshift redneck yacht club is what we called it as we mm. got about an inch of rain in an hour. It was or insane. Less. Uh, it was an insane yeah, was amount of rain. Enough, for sure. So uh, some of the camping area became a lake That's and soggy. ponds and other things. So we uh, we sat in the middle of it and had a tea party. I'm still just like wildly impressed with our luck that nobody's tents were totally flooded. Even Brian and Julius was like <laughs> in the lake. Yeah. And it was yeah. fun. Yeah. Guys, shout out to the ingenuity of tent makers as how far they've yeah. come these days. Cause Thanks it used to sprinkle. Years. It used to sprinkle and the tents would be soaked. So it was quite impressive. So those were the big topics I had. Um, I can't even remember what happened four weeks ago, but I'm sure it was something fun too. <laughs> but uh, Tasha, what have you had going on since we last met? Um, I mean, obviously sprinkling, but I feel like you covered all of the, the highlights there. I did injure myself during Outdoor True American though. Yes, you um, did. How was that? Did you recover okay? Or? Yeah, I mean, I had a nice bruise on my thigh mm. and my elbow was okay. It was okay. Everything was fine. <laughs> Nothing permanent. But yeah, uh, basically the last couple weekends have been great homeownership project type weekends, like lawn mowing and... <laughs> ditch drainage type things or drainage ditch things, planting new gardens and getting it, well, not a new driveway, but it feels new now. Like when we get into our garage, you don't like hump up over the garage. It's just like a nice smooth transition, which is chef's kiss. And then tomorrow we're going to be playing D&D with strangers. I mean, strangers to me. Kind of. Barry works with somebody um, and they invited us to do a campaign, like an in-person campaign, which I haven't done since Spring Fling. <laughs> and I'm excited. I made a character that, that it's always fun to build characters, but I'm a little nervous because like I don't I don't know any of these people. So that is super exciting. And I can tell a little nerve wracking, sure. But a little bit. I'm sure it will be great. I'm like, I'm an okay social person. Like I don't get like totally gripping anxiety. So 
that's good. But I'm also <laughs> like, I don't seek out yeah. strangers. <laughs> I am not an okay social person. <laughs> and that's one thing now that we're back at my parents' house where I have to walk or we walk their dog twice a day and they have mm. a neighborhood walk party. So oh my it's God, really? a bunch of women of the neighborhood walking and like trying to talk to me. And I'm like, Ooh. Oh, that's so <laughs> much for you, but that's really cute. It is so much. I get really happy. Their dog's name is Cookie. When, uh, yeah, when Cookie is, feels like running instead of walking. Like, yes, I will do this. Group. I'm like, yes, yes. My mom actually said last night, and she's like, I think Russ's social awkwardness is moving on to our dog and he now feels it as well. <laughs> So there's that. You're welcome, Cookie. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, not really. This has to do with the driveway, but none of our listeners, well, few of our listeners have been to my driveway. You are one of them. You know that big rock that was like a detriment to the bottom of your car? It's gone. Did he pull it out first or did he just bury it? He he pulled it out kind of accidentally when he was doing the like tear up um prepping work uh he like forgot to pick up his blade like a little bit and it hit it and he was like and it moved so I just kept moving it I was like okay like it was it's great and now there's like um now it's all covered but there was this big hole oh that is a rock yeah Jesus that was exciting that's the other exciting part is that now my driveway is slightly safer (laughs) nice yeah we've got to the bottom of the We've got two of those in ours right now that I've tried to dig out that I can't dig out on my own. So that's one of those things. I mean, he had a big Kubota tractor, which I feel like you need to have something like that. And like, it's one of those tip of the iceberg scenarios where you're like, I have no idea how big this is going to be. Absolutely. Like this, as with your place, it's very rocky around here to the point of like, who knows if it's going to be a teeny thing or a huge thing. You just don't know. Yeah. The adventures of home ownership for sure. All right. So before we get to the book, we uh, just want to give you your biweekly or monthly reminder at this point (laughs) to follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're at Adult Book Club 21. We have been a little uh, remiss in our posting lately. I blame myself, but uh, you can still always see some interesting stuff. You can see the bedroom that I'm in now when I post this video, uh, which again, is very different from where I normally am. But again, it's Adult Book Club 21 on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out there. Now we are moving to the book. Uh, so this is once again, Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. <laughs> Razorblade Tears was released in July, 2021. It is the third novel by Cosby who is referred to as a Southern noir crime writer. Razorblade Tears, along with his last book, Blacktop Wasteland, have both had their rights purchased and are in the process of being made into films. So pretty cool stuff. It's a very interesting story. I definitely want to check out Blacktop Wasteland. There was a ton of praise for that on the back of Razorblade Tears. Um, so I love his writing. I also, I'm definitely going to list if it's the same narrator. Oh, he was so good. <laughs> nice. So something uh, to add to our repertoire down the line. But uh, before mm-hmm. we get into the questions, Taj, why don't you go ahead and read us the jacket, please? Which Russell took a picture of because I don't have the book. Welcome to Behind <laughs> the Scenes. <laughs> Yes. A black father, a white father, two dead sons, a quest for revenge and redemption. Ike Randolph has been out of jail for 15 years with not so much as a speeding ticket in all that time, but a black man with cops at the door knows to be afraid. The last thing he expects to hear is that his son Isaiah has been murdered along with Isaiah's white husband, Derek. Ike has had never fully accepted his son, but is devastated by his loss. 
Derek's father, Buddy Lee, was almost as ashamed of Derek for being gay as Derek was ashamed of his father's criminal record. Buddy Lee still has contacts in the underworld though, and he wants to know who killed his boy. Ike and Buddy Lee, two ex-cons with little in common other than a criminal past and a love for their dead sons, band together in their desperate desire for revenge. In their quest to do better for their sons in death than they did in life, these hardened men will confront their prejudices about their sons and each other as they rain down vengeance upon those who hurt their boys. Provocative and fast-paced, Razorblade Tears is a story of bloody retribution, heartfelt change, and maybe even redemption. Very good, and a very good setup for the book that, once again, I didn't read because I was just getting right into it. And honestly, with this book, it, it's one of the good ones that just grabs you from page one and really doesn't let you go. So we are introduced to our two protagonists in back-to-back chapters. We first meet Ike as he learns about the murder of his son and then Buddy Lee at the funeral for the boys in the next chapter. What were your initial thoughts of Ike and Buddy Lee? I mean, like both of them, it was pretty clear that they were, I don't want to call them damaged goods, but that's kind of accurate. Like they both clearly loved their sons a lot. And that was pretty obvious. They were both, I appreciated kind of how hard they were on themselves about kind of how they like fucked up and like not telling them how much they love them. Like I know for Ike's perspective, I think, I don't think it, I don't think it was in this first chapter, but he just like talks about one of the last times he saw Isaiah and like it didn't go well and they like fought all the time and just the kind of self-reflection that both of the characters had was refreshing (laughs) and definitely very endearing. I mean, Ike's whole pulled himself up from his bootstraps basically, turned his life around after getting out of jail is just really pretty awe-inspiring in general to like be a business owner, a a successful business owner um, after having been convicted and in jail. In prison for like 10 or 15 years. Yeah, that's that's like a long time to be out of the world and then to come back and like rock it out of the park. Like that's awesome. So yeah, just a lot of respect for him. Ike more so than Buddy Lee. Buddy Lee, like, I mean, it's not that I don't respect him, but he was like a very stereotypical, like, white trash, I guess. I mean, doesn't he call himself that at one point? He does. And he, okay. he, he mentions how he's basically like a redneck um, to a T, like a stereotypical yeah. redneck. And you're right. It, it seems like they both got dealt some some shit hands. And, okay. and they both put themselves in those positions. I mean, Ike definitely committed crimes that he yes. deserved to go to jail for. Yes. Buddy Lee, a little bit different scenario. He, I mean, he yeah. did commit crimes, but he also kind of took the fall for uh, one of his half-brothers to try right. to make sure he kind of already had a rap sheet and he wanted to make sure his half-brother maybe got a chance to, to not be like him, uh, which you saw that a lot. That was kind of the interesting thing I saw from both of them is they both had that regret. They were both dealing yeah. with that. We kind of lived with them with brief, brief snippets of flashbacks and kind of memories as they lived through them and and kind of saw how they dealt with their children and and dealt with their sons while they were alive and how they reacted to, you know, different news or scenarios that came up with them, uh, especially obviously around their sexuality, because that was the big point for both parents where they just didn't, they didn't understand that. Yeah. So I found it interesting because Ike was so angry and kind of angry at the world. And 
he had that anger inside of him and just snapped at a lot of different things. Whereas Buddy Lee was also angry at himself for what he did, but he looked towards humor uh, and tried to like make jokes, both self-deprecating and otherwise to kind of like, lighten the... yeah, lighten it, but also like show that he's feeling that as well. But that was kind of his way of dealing with it. He would, he would try to go the joking route, like, okay, let's like not make it a big deal, even though I'm hurting and it is. Whereas Ike was like, I want to punch everything that, that is, is in front thing. of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely appreciated how easy to tell their similarities and their differences were. Like it was very, just like character creation wise or construction wise, solid on like literally every, every single one. I felt like a really sort of visceral connection to like rooting for them. Yeah. <laughs> Even though some of the shit they were doing was a little bit shady. Like, <laughs> a little, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was interesting too because you saw their flaws you, you yeah it, it, like you said it was a really great character uh building because they were realistic they weren't the totally. super dad but they More also perfect. weren't the super villain yeah. you know there was yeah. there was reason reasons behind the decisions they made both good and bad there was you could hear their reasoning behind why they thought and felt the way they did i mean th- this was in present day ish in the 20s somewhere 2010s probably so yeah. there was there is that you know grander knowledge or acceptance in some places but obviously there's still a lot of people oh, that yeah. don't have that and yeah. those two characters didn't and you could just see that how much they struggle with that and how much in talking about it they struggle with how much they love their boys but how much they didn't understand them yeah well and I appreciated too how and I think this was a little bit more heavily seen from Ike's perspective but like how oftentimes he would like say or think something kind of bigoted and then the thought he would have would be in Isaiah's voice you know and I, I really appreciated that because it was like both the characters were sort of coming to terms with like the gray area of the black and white of things and like having that voice in your head and I don't know it just like helps push you over into like more fully understanding and just I it just was so precious like and I think character growth. And I think the big thing is meeting them after they find out about the death. Yeah. Because that really is a spark plug for those emotions yeah. where that is you no longer because we all think it, everybody does. You think you have time. Like we'll, you know, yes, okay, three months ago when he was at the house, we we got into a fight, but there'll be next time. You know, okay, right. it hasn't been going well for a few years, but you know, we'll we'll figure it out eventually. And so they now had that time taken away from them and taken away from them violently as they learned. I was that just they gonna say murdered. that like, that's so different than like a car accident or something where like it's unexpected but not purposeful. purposeful. Yeah. yeah. And like to have that, especially just given the two, like Buddy Lee and Ike's backgrounds, to have it be something that they could, I don't want to say fight against, but they, you, you can get, right? You're not, what are you going to do? Like beat the car up more? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I feel like it's, it's a different sort of animal and obviously like probably stirs some different emotions in yeah. terms of how can you deal with it after the fact? And there was also the the violence behind it as both yeah. of them were gunned down and then shot, shot again, again and again uh, to the point where it was difficult to uh, identify them almost. Them. So there's that on top of it all where it, it just feels that more and more. And I think that 
at first before they understand what's going on and the whole story and what the boys or their sons were getting into. I keep calling them boys, they're men. That's what they do. Like. <laughs> yeah. um, what they were getting into. And at first I think that's them. They just believe it's some sort of hate crime yeah. um, against their sons. And I think that's another way that they channel their anger into it. Like, I think it's because they were so uncomfortable with their son's decisions that it made them even more upset that somebody would do that to them because of that. And I think, again, that's the spark plug they needed yeah. to be like, Holy something's shit. wrong here. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So before we get into more of the characters and setting the book, I want to talk about the message behind it because that was something I didn't know about. Again, I didn't read the, the jacket um, before getting into the book. So as we were just discussing, both fathers struggled with their son's sexuality. And there were also racial tensions between Buddy Lee and Ike throughout their investigation. What were your thoughts on these topics as our characters dealt with them? Um, just amazing. Like I had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of feelings. And I think a lot of it, obviously it was like very well written and um, expressed and the audiobook it was just like fabulous. The guy narrating had like supremely perfect accents and just like, it felt like I was watching a show or listening to a show. I mean, I cried a few times yeah. at different points, obviously. But I just really liked the concept of dealing with these issues in like a locale that I'm not familiar with because I'm from this like very liberal Northern town. Like I don't have any personal experience other than like some friends who live in the South and are LGBT. Like that's my, my secondary. Yeah. <laughs> just watching what they go through. But like it obviously is very different. And just, I think, again, I don't have experience with it, but like, it seemed like a very accurate representation of what that environment must be like. Um, and I can't imagine being in that situation <laughs> and having like, essentially hate thrown at you like on the regular. And I appreciated though that in their investigation, like they sort of discovered sections that they didn't even realize really existed, like the ally type places yeah. that were that their sons frequented and that was pretty cool because then it just sort of I think it was a little eye-opening for them you know in terms of like wow there's a lot more of this yeah that it's normal that it's here you know yeah. what I mean yeah and then you see it too with his Ike and Buddy Lee do not like each other they don't know each <laughs> other Buddy Lee didn't go to the wedding I believe uh or if he did they didn't really talk so no, basically I, the, I, I think they met at the funeral yeah. Um, or they had like seen each other in passing, but this is when they're really first talking to each other and they immediately discover that they don't <laughs> have anything in common aside from the fact that both their sons were killed and they both are ex-cons because they're talking about it. And when Buddy Lee gets into why he was arrested and he talks about how he was, you know, pulled over with a trunk full of crystal meth, basically. And he's like, well, I got like three to five for that. And, and Ike's like, I would have been shot or been in life for that just because I'm a black man and buddy yeah. Lee's like wait what wait yeah that I love all of the schooling that I did to buddy Lee about like the race stuff like buddy Lee was, had no clue and it was so interesting to have that juxtaposition because yeah. as Ike is doing that to buddy Lee they're both going through that when yeah. it comes to the boys so it was like yes okay they are both but dealing with that angle of it but then also we have this where it's like even though you're learning here and you're opening your eyes here you still don't have your eyes open to no. this other part that's right in front of you because again you just don't have experience there 
Do you think that it's safe to say, and I got this impression a little bit that like, I mean, Buddy Lee definitely wasn't a fan of Derek being gay, but like, I got the impression that Buddy Lee had kind of come to terms with that quicker than Ike did. And so was I've, kind of like, not helping him through it, but sort of like, it was good to have them be at different levels of acceptance. Yes, and I, and I think a part of that is where Buddy Lee is coming from because at this point, we don't know what's going on, but he talks about how he's, his coughing fits are getting worse and how he's yeah. coughing up this phlegm and that it becomes bloody and all that. So yeah. I think that's part of it where Buddy yeah. Lee knows that or knew time before this that his time was limited. And I think he was kind of already coming around Trying to, to yeah. I want to be a part of Derek's life again, especially because his whole situation with his ex-wife, who he's still in love <sighs> with, but they don't have a relationship. And it, so there's nobody else for him. Like he's right. got a couple half brothers that he doesn't really see or right. uh, get along with anymore. And then there's Derek. So I think he was partially coming around to that as well. And I think that's why he wanted to kind of lead the charge on this again because yeah. he you know Ike was like the cops will take care of it and Buddy Lee was more like we don't have time for them to not deal with this kind of situation right. was forcing it so it was I really appreciated it because again like you said it, it's very realistic and I appreciated how it was written to where Ike's not lecturing Buddy Lee or anything um, like that. Nobody's lecturing them about the boys. Uh, it's kind of like as the situation arises, they're like, see, that's it. That's very it. Because, in the moment. Exactly. Learning. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of that out there that yeah. has become more prevalent for the for society in general these last few years, especially. And there's probably stuff before that that I just didn't notice because my eyes weren't open to it. So that's it's like we're learning too, um, yeah. as well as, as they're learning. Yeah. Totally. And that was such a huge part for me for this book. Definitely. I appreciated that they were like helping each other to see the light (laughs) in a lot of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So as I was saying with the investigation, Buddy Lee from day one is pushing it. Basically at the funeral, just just meets Ike and is like, we're going to deal with this. Yeah. And Ike's like, okay, I just met you crazy. Um, we're going we're gonna to let the cops do it. Because again, like you were saying, I, 15 years without even a speeding ticket, he talks about how hard it was for him to start his business when he got out because nobody wanted to give an ex-con a job. Uh, you know, people would just look at him and, and not give him a chance. So he started out doing all the things that people didn't want to do with his landscaping company and built himself up to where he is now. Obviously, Buddy Lee, we touched on the sickness, lives in a trailer that our first experience in the trailer is his landlord telling him he's behind on rent, talking about how he lost his job because the place he was delivering for whatever wouldn't even give him bereavement. So he just said, fuck it and left basically. Obviously a lot less to lose. Um, and then Ike obviously has his wife, Maya, and they are now taking care of Derek and Isaiah's daughter, Ariana. So he's got a lot more going yeah, on as, as yeah. Buddy Lee, who is drunk at the funeral, is telling him that they need to seek vengeance. And it's not until a few months later, we learned that basically the police have given the case cold, cold case file. Like it's, it's on the shelf. We have no new leads. We're not going to do anything about it. But even that's not enough to get Ike until he goes to visit the son's grave one morning and finds it destroyed with a sledgehammer broken down and then spray painted with a bunch of hate on it. Do you think without that happening, Ike would have come around to that? Or do you think he needed that to push him over the edge? I think he needed something to push him over the edge. Yeah. And I think that that was definitely the best way to do it because instead of making it, 
I mean, you can't really make it necessarily, but like, it's not, it wasn't a race thing necessarily. It was the fact that they were gay. And like, if the headstone had just been smacked, you know what I mean? I feel like it was, if it had been half-assed, yeah. that wouldn't have done enough. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I definitely think, like you said, he kind of just had too much to lose for it to, to not take something to push him over the edge. It was interesting for me too, and obviously this is a story, so we're reading a story, we're not living it, but his interactions with Maya, his wife again, mm-hmm. leading up to that situation, where she was so cold and distant to him and he just kept chalking it up to like oh she's just she's she's in mourning still you know and it's like she this is how she's experiencing it and as I'm reading that I'm like dude you are completely missing the boat here she's obviously this is obviously more than that she wants you to do something she wants you to do something I do wonder if eventually that would have pushed him to do something or if it was Mm -hmm. in fact that he needed that in order to get him going. So I think it would have been interesting if that played out without the grave uh, situation happening, where if mm-hmm. eventually Maya and her kind of coldness towards Ike pushed him towards doing something or not. But obviously he got the kick in the pants he needed before that happened. But it's like we were just talking about with he had so much to lose. There was also that other side of it that he discussed. He was just so worried about bringing back his riot randolph was what he was called uh when he was back in a gang back in the day and he talked about it how he didn't know if he'd be able to turn that off and it's just made me think of this thing that our our friend eric from previous work always says he always says he doesn't have a drinking problem he has a stopping problem (gasps) and that's kind of how i pictured ike when like once riot got going he didn't have a problem with what riot was going to do especially in this scenario he felt it was justified he was just worried that once that happened, he wouldn't Maybe be able to stop and yeah. he would kind of lose everything with that. So I, I think yeah. it would have been a different story without that. But obviously with the, the grave stone stuff happening and kind of, again, he talks to the, the cemetery worker that day and he tells him like, you need to clean this up today. Like my wife can't see it. Just say it's vandalism. <laughs> like, you know, he's mm-hmm. still got that head on his shoulder, but immediately then he calls jazz at the office and says, go find that scrap of paper and read me that phone number. It's time mm-hmm. to deal with this. So I did, I did like that, that, that there was a catalyst there that kind of made him switch his mind because he was so vehemently against doing that, even doing though that. the cops had kind of already failed them at that point. So. Yeah. No, and that's a good point. Like, I, I do think that it would be interesting to see if that character would have done the things that he did if he didn't have such a, a lit fuse. I mean, like you said, stuff with his wife like that was kind of a bummer like (laughs) that they were drifting apart like that but I think like she certainly wasn't unhappy about the way things well her her response was great right so his first night of the investigation him and buddy lee stay out all night his wife's calling and texting him he's not answering and basically the next morning she's like you know whatever you're doing you need to make sure you come home blah, blah blah and then when he's like we're we're taking over the investigation she's like kind of smiles for that Adam for the mm-hmm. first time in months and it's it's like good it, it, she's definitely not at all like you can't do that she's like yes you need to get justice for our son well and not for nothing like the relationship between the two of them it would be a bummer if he hadn't done something like their relationship might have just like not been as strong or like 
it would have fizzled out or something. But that said, like, she stuck around for the 15 years that he was in jail. Well, and I think Maya even says that at one point, like you were willing to go to 15 years worth of jail for standing up for somebody else. Right. And you're not willing to stand up for our son. Like, because right. uh, Isaiah was obviously already born at that point. He was just a small child. And it's like, he, yeah. you missed so much of All his life things. for somebody else. And you're not willing to give up any of your life for him kind of thing is really how it felt like she was giving Pushing it to him. Way. Yeah. So yeah, yeah definitely. I think, <laughs> and if he had waited till she pushed him far enough, I think there would have been more desperation and probably mistakes in the quote unquote investigation. So um, yeah. he definitely needed the kick in the pants to get moving. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that brings us right up to spoilers. Um, we are going to skip past the get to know your podcaster question of this one. We kind of talked about it back and forth, but this is such a heavy novel with a lot of serious topics that we usually use that question yeah we usually use that question to bring some levity or um (laughs) joke around with some past experiences we have obviously this is not anything we have experience with in a lot of ways so we are (laughs) going to just uh skip over that and move right into spoilers so here is your song this is the part that we're going into spoilers if you don't know the book get out because this is the pop going into spoilers. Time to learn what the story's all about. Spoilers. Got it analog today. So it's my fancy sheet here. I'll be shuffling papers. <laughs> spoilers. As they begin their investigation into their son's murder, Ike and Buddy Lee start by going over to their son's house in order to look for clues about the story Isaiah was working on that may have gotten him killed. While there, two bikers from the motorcycle club, Rare Breed, show up at the house as well, looking for clues as to the location of a woman they are trying to find for their employer, also connected to the story. Ike and Buddy Lee are able to subdue the two and take one back to Ike's shop for questioning, but things go poorly and they end up killing the guy, but not before learning that the woman they're looking for is named Tangerine. The other biker survives long enough to ID Ike's work truck to the rest of the biker gang, and soon the club shows up at his company and threatens him. The story they learn is that some prominent figure was cheating on his wife with Tangerine, and while at a party that was catered by Derek's company, she confided in him about what was going on, and Derek then pushed Isaiah to write the story for his paper. The fathers have little doubt that someone from the gag is responsible for the death of their sons, but they want to know who it was that hired them and believe the only way to do this is to find Tangerine. They set out looking for her using old contacts that they have within the criminal world and by visiting different places their sons had frequented. Eventually, they discover that Tangerine is hiding back home with her mother and head there, but the information is also given to Rare Breed, and they show up as the fathers are trying to convince Tangerine to tell them the prominent figure's name. A gunfight erupts, and Tangerine's mother is killed before they are able to escape, and Tangerine is shot and wounded. Ike calls his wife, Maya, to meet them at Buddy Lee's trailer in order to take care of the wound. She shows up with Derek and Isaiah's daughter, Ariana, in tow and sees the Tangerine. This is when they discover that Tangerine is a transgender woman and they need to hide her someplace safe. Ike decides to take her to his ex-employee Jazzy's house and leaves Buddy Lee and Maya waiting for him back at the trailer. While he is gone, Maya gets a call from her neighbor saying that her house is on fire and even though Buddy Lee tells her it's a trap, she pressures him by saying that everything that is left of Isaiah is in that house and they need to go anyway. When they arrive, it is a trap set by the rare breed, and as they go to escape, they are T-boned, and both Maya and Buddy Lee suffer severe injuries. Ariana is taken by the gang to hold as ransom. In the hospital, Maya is in surgery, fighting for her life, and Buddy Lee is in rough shape. 
He comes clean to Ike and tells him that he was the one who destroyed the boy's gravestone and spray painted their graves with hate in order to convince Ike to help him go after the killers. Ike says he wants nothing to do with Buddy Lee ever again and leaves him just in time for Buddy Lee to realize who the prominent figure is. Based on conversations he had with his ex-wife and other subtle clues from Tangerine, Buddy Lee realizes that the guy behind all of this is his ex-wife's new husband and Derek's stepfather, Gerald Winthrop Culpepper, a prominent judge with very Republican views who is planning to run for office. Buddy Lee goes on a one-man wrecking crew and tries to kill Gerald himself, including driving his truck through the side of the house. He is arrested before he can get to him, but Gerald comes to see him and admits that he is behind everything. He then tells Buddy Lee he is going to drop the charges so Buddy Lee can leave and get Tangerine in order to trade her for Ariana. Eventually, Buddy Lee gets Ike to take his call and explains everything that has happened. They agree that they can't bring Tangerine to the meet or else they will all be killed and instead decide to kidnap Gerald's father, Gatsby Culpepper, so they can trade him instead. They set up the meet at a training ground for one of Buddy Lee's half-brother's gangs and prepare to take on the entire motorcycle gang. The handoff goes well, and then a firefight ensues, ending when Ike and Buddy Lee set off an improvised bomb they made while escaping through a tunnel. They leave Ariana in the car and go back after the explosion to make sure they got everybody. They find Gerald still alive and kill him. When returning to the car, they find the leader of the gang, Grayson, has survived and is holding Ariana hostage once more. Buddy Lee is able to kill him by throwing his knife, but Grayson fires his gun off as he dies and kills Buddy Lee as well. The book ends with Ike visiting Buddy Lee's grave, who he buried next to their sons, and finally letting go of his anger and regret and vowing to become a better grandfather to Ariana than a father he ever was to Isaiah. And I will say, just with the title, The Razorblade Tears, they talk about it in the beginning, yeah. where Ike is crying, and they said the tears were like razor blades going down his cheek. And then the last line of the book, I should look it up, because it is well written. Um, oh my God, I cried a lot. <laughs> So the last kind of bit is the tears came again. They poured from his eyes and ran over his cheeks, flowed down to the stubble on his chin. This time they didn't feel so much like razor blades. They felt like the long awaited answer to a mournful prayer for rain. So just a little snippet of how good the writing was for you there. All right. So first things first, and thankfully I can edit over how many times I couldn't say the word improvised in that segment, but First things first. You I can touch, say it, you just can't read it. I, yeah, apparently. I just can't read it, apparently. <laughs> I want to touch on the two twists that happen. We have uh, who the prominent figure was behind the murders and the destruction of the graves. Did you get either right? And if so, when did it come to you? So the guy who was yes-ish, like, I don't know that we, like, I don't know that I recognized what his name was or anything, but, like, I realized that it was, like, the stepfather. And I don't remember when, because I don't have page numbers. As that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, except to say, like, when he started to kind of put things together, like, when he was in the hospital, I think I got there slightly before him. Okay. Like, so it wasn't like way, way long before. So, Um, so this is another Mrs. Cromwell situation because there was a point early on where when they first learn it's a prominent figure or some, some type of that phrase is said. Yeah. And I just remembered, it's one of those things that I'm going to pat myself on the back because I feel like when you're reading a ton of books, you see like these subtle things that they tell you. And it's like, why would I care about that? Right. And it's mentioned early on that Derek's stepfather was a judge, a, a, a judge. judge who was like running for yeah. office or something like that. So then when they mentioned that prominent figure and we get some conversations happen throughout the book between, between Grayson yeah. and his quote unquote employer, 
um, that you're trying to figure out who that is. And maybe it's Grayson that says he's a prominent figure. I don't know. But when that happened, I was like, that's that's the stepfather. And we didn't know his name yet. But I was like, it's it just makes sense that it would be him just for that setup, just for the cheating husband kind of scandal. And I believe Buddy Lee's wife, Chrissy, or Christy, comes over to his trailer after the funeral, which she didn't go to. She's a bitch. Uh, no, she's dealing with her own things. But she talks I mean, about... I still don't like her. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But she talks about how she is pretty sure her husband is, you know, sleeping with somebody or other. Yeah. And that was the other where it's like, oh, yeah, it is definitely him. Yeah, no, I mean, I was... I was certainly suspicious of that guy, but then I hadn't like necessarily, I mean, let me, let me go back because that conversation that Grayson was having with the dude, the figure, like before we knew who it was, I was like, this guy sounds like he's somebody that we're going to like actually not know, but you know what I mean? It'll be one of those things. So it's not not going to be somebody random. Yeah. 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 So like, I don't want to lie about it. I definitely just only got there like right before. And, and did. For, for people that haven't read the book, the reason I put in there his Republican viewpoints, because he talks about how he never accepted Derek, like Ever. worse than he Buddy Lee. Terrible to like, him. Yeah, him and him, Buddy Lee and Derek had their own issues. But the, but the stepfather, Gerald, was like, no, he can't be here. Get no. him out of my house. Like, I don't even want you to talk to him. Yeah, and basically ended their relationship and basically spoke about how the, the devil uh, or, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the evil of- that is homosexuality and all that. So it was important <laughs> that that tie was made because Derek, when he talks to Tangerine and learns who it yeah. is, is like that motherfucking hypocrite. And yeah. they even mentioned Tangerine, I think mentions like he, Derek wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't let yeah. him not you know, he wouldn't let Isaiah not do this story. He kind of pushed him to do it. And you understand now that there was Why? that personal uh, situation behind it as well. So yeah, that another- was a, I thought that was a good, like, I don't know that it was like so much of a twist because like you said, they, it was kind of like set up to, to be that, but I thought it was a well, well executed <laughs> yeah. left turn. <laughs> yeah. And like, when you hear about somebody's murder, you don't, usually expect their stepfather to be behind it, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, not generally, no. <laughs> um, so what about the graves? Did you have any idea it was Buddy Lee behind that? No, that was actually kind of surprising to me. It totally makes sense, like, when he was telling Ike about it, you know, and looking back, and like we were talking about before, like, I probably wouldn't have, you know, and, and even Ike comes out, obviously, he's super pissed when he first learns this, but then, like, he comes around, and he's like, no, you know, I wouldn't have done this if that hadn't happened and like again amazing self-reflection on both of their parts but I I see why he did it and it definitely was the right move but also like must have been tough to to do that I mean because like he loved his son a lot and to even if you're like I'm doing this for good purposes like that's still that's still a lot. It's a really fucked up thing to do. Yeah. For sure. um, and yeah, it is one of those things where you hope the ends justify the means, but like, what right? if Ike, and obviously it's a story, but what if Ike yeah. didn't, what if Ike was like, we're yeah. still not doing it. And then Buddy Lee is now living with that on top of it. He doesn't have to live very long. So Ex- maybe he exactly. Was like, whatever. And, and we do, we'll get into the ending later on, but we do learn, I believe Maya, because Maya's a nurse as well, yeah. um, points out when they're waiting for Ike to come back, Buddy Lee is like coughing and all that. And she's like, it's cancer, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. And again, going back to kind of 
him having the decision to go after and destroy the gravestone, it makes sense again, because, well, Ike thinks maybe the cops will come around or maybe eventually Maya will get him to, to release the riot. Uh, Buddy Lee doesn't have that time. He can feel himself no. getting worse and worse. And he's kind of saying, I, I think he looks at now. it. And I think he looks at it like he's done a lot of wrong. He did a lot of wrong with raising um, and how he handled Derek and, and their relationship. And I think he's viewing this as like, this is literally my last chance yes. to try yeah. to do some right by my son that I think I, I did a lot of wrong by. Yeah. So that was interesting. As far as seeing that he did it, honestly, I didn't even think of that. Um, like I, I just thought it was a thing to do. Yeah. And it, it made sense at the time because it was a high profile case yeah. that somebody would go and destroy those graves. Like again, with the limited acceptance that seemed to be in that area, the limited amount of allies, mm -hmm. I, I just kind of took it as what it Me was too. presented was a hate crime. So yeah. to hear him say that, I was like, okay, touche. That, that adds right? an angle that, that I did was, not think of. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. I will say I wanted to talk about the investigation in general as we're seeing them go through all these different things and they are two ex-cons so they have the connections and they have the experience I believe Ike even tells us at one point that it was like the eighth person he killed that got him in trouble but they never found the other seven <laughs> so, so it's, it's a scary dude obviously yeah. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of the investigation? Did you find it believable? Were there parts that you thought were more of a stretch than others or, or anything like that as, as we're going through what's happening and kind of how it falls into place? I feel like it was relatively believable. I mean, again, not really our wheelhouse in terms of like so many things to do with this, but like I imagine ex-cons have like a completely different circle that they run in and knowledge base that they have. I mean, like, I liked that they utilized stuff that they learned in prison, stuff that they learned how, you know, before they went to prison. And like, I don't know, I've, I've read some investigatory type themes or, or stories where things almost seem too convenient, like Boy in the Red Dress comes to mind. Yeah. And this was a little bit more believable in that, like, they literally were, like, beating things out of people <laughs> yeah. rather than just someone being like, oh, I'm going to tell you everything. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I think, like, from that sort of intimidation standpoint, everything checked, like, all the boxes were checked in terms of realism. Um, yeah. The, the one thing that caught me was just the, the initial setup where the bikers just so happened to go to the boy's house at the same time that they are there. Yeah, okay. That yes. was that was the only one there. I was like, okay. I mean, it, obviously it could happen. Coincidence sure. happened, things happen. Sure. Um, but I was like, you know, because it had been months since anybody had been there and like uh, Grace and the, the leader of Rare Breed had basically given up on the girl. And then, yeah. you know, the, the mysterious caller calls and is like, you need to figure out. He's like, okay, I'll just send over these two idiots. And it happens to be at the same time. Uh, that I was very there. So yeah. I, yeah, that was convenient. But the rest of it, I think you're right. It, there was enough based on other things I've watched and read, because mm -hmm. you're right, I don't have this experience, but there's enough <laughs> things and ties together that I thought made sense. You know, the, the cryptic message Buddy Lee found in the sketchbook, which is how they get to um, the club you know kind yeah. of with uh those drawings there and like using his gut which you know I guess is a thing that happens people's gut tells them things but <laughs> you know the fact that the guy the guy they kidnap and eventually kill by accident well on purpose they killed him but it's because he tried to escape uh, I mean, the fact that he knew the name tangerine 
Okay, yeah. so that gets us a step closer. And then, you know, they learn about the producer's party where Derek met yeah. the, the woman, uh, you know, so then it's like, okay, now we have to find the like producer. pieces as opposed to like, here's everything. It was good, like, it was good breadcrumbs. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, I can see how they, it, it didn't seem like a stretch. And there was things that were not as fruitful as others as they're going through yes. their investigation. It wasn't like, okay, and then we hit a home run and then we hit a home run and then we hit a home run. It was like, okay, well, we got like, then they had to deal with that dead body. Like there were things that like, <laughs> things didn't really go to plan. <laughs> right, right. And they got stonewalled at different places when they first went yeah. and talked to, you know, Mr. Worldwide or whatever his name was that <laughs> had had issues with them. And then they had to go through Slice, who is right. an old gang contact of, right. um, of Ike's. <sighs> And yeah, then okay. that believability of how Rare Breed finally finds out where Tangerine is, where it's a slice is now selling that information to them because he kind of screwed them over on a gun deal it. that we heard about earlier in the book. So another one of those things where that kind of ties together in a nice way. And it makes sense because you could like, again, Ike says it a thousand times, like slice is he's got his hands and everything. He wants his hands and everything. So it makes sense that he would see that as an opportunity to better his position and yeah. He does have some jealousy and some anger towards Ike. So he doesn't really care about Tangerine and all that. So it makes sense that he sells that information and then slowly working that all out. Um, <laughs> I do think that if you drove your truck through the front, through the side or front door of a judge, prominent judge, who's maybe running for office, you, even if he says he's going to drop the charges, I think he might spend more than an hour in jail, but that, that was a little much, but I appreciated that. I just appreciate like Buddy Lee's like, I'm oh done giving a fuck. I'm just gonna um, go for it. I just need to put that in the visual in my mind too that I came in like a wrecking ball <laughs> <laughs> because that's accurate. Um, and then also, just to stumble out of that, like all beat up still from a from a car accident with a baseball bat full of nails, and just like oh I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. It's like, awesome. He's yeah, really ch- choice moves there. I also just appreciate how. In the aftermath of that, when Buddy Lee is in jail for like a hot second and Gerald comes in to like toot his I'm the villain horn. And then later on, I think it's Grayson says something about how like, why the fuck did he have to go do that? It like ruined everything. And like, I just appreciated that that got called out because it was the ridiculous stereotypical villain has to tell you the whole whole plan. plan. Yeah. (laughs) Like, which is just like a normal villain thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and then it got called out by another character. Like you've got to appreciate that. And then I, I loved that their, their whole thing with like, oh, Gerald's a daddy's boy. And like, it's like, I don't know if I can hate any more, anybody more than I hate Gerald. And then you meet Gatsby and it's like, okay, I oh see where goodness. you got it from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That whole like end bit with the improvised bomb. And just that, like, the shit show that was that was just, I think we talked about this before. Like, I usually listen to audiobooks in the car on my way to and from work and stuff. But, like, this one, I was, like, sitting on the couch. My phone was just, like, on my chest. And I'm, like. (laughs) (laughs) Just visualizing (laughs) everything. Yeah. Yeah. Shit was getting real. But, yeah, I just, I definitely didn't see, I didn't, I don't think I saw the story as an investigation so much as like the retribution side of things where like the investigation was like part of what they needed to do to like get to the end game 
Does yeah. that make sense? Like it wasn't like a mystery novel where like that's kind of the fun of it is the yeah. finding out. This was like, yeah. How's it gonna come together? Yeah. Yeah. And you like Grayson even tell like they they talk about how like they're like, oh, we you know, we know one of the bikers did it. Grayson like tells him it was him. Uh, yeah. like I think after the accident with Buddy Lee where they steal Ariana, I think he tells him it was him. And it's like obviously like no doubt obviously it was that guy's right. piece of shit but oh, yeah, it, there was literally like nothing left up to doubt it was just like okay how are they gonna how are they gonna do how this? Are they gonna kill this guy <laughs> yeah so we'll jump into that the final standoff and the ending afterwards as you were talking about with the improvised bomb it's just another great tie-in of what Ike does right because Ike has all that fertilizer and all that and basically they say well we just googled how to make a bomb because <laughs> you know? we knew it was like nitrous infused fertilizer yeah. or whatever it's like I've got like not necessarily everybody has but certainly a landscaper does certainly a landscaper does so it's like one of those things where the job made sense for him again he like started with a push mower and worked his yeah. way up to this but it comes in you know it's one of those things with writing where it's like I wonder when that Got thought came yeah. about you know like was it like it he knew from the like beginning the yeah. yeah he like knew he wanted an improvised bomb and so he's like <laughs> the guy needs fertilizer okay like so landscaper <laughs> you know like I'd love to yes. know when that actually came into play because that's such a or smart he started as a landscaper because that would like it because it totally makes sense from like a guy getting out of jail and creating a business right and then oh convenient <laughs> convenient like yes. I didn't even you know I feel like when you're I mean I don't write stories but I feel like there's probably moments like that where it's like not necessarily a light bulb but you're like oh shit I'm good like pat yourself on the back because like you didn't even realize you set yourself up for so much awesomeness yeah and I'm sure they tell you it was probably in the editing process where they got right. to the end there. like wouldn't it be great if you had an improvised bomb okay let's make him a landscaper <laughs> like I, Ike was really like a, a, a bagel maker the whole time <laughs> Yeah, we said the same thing. Uh, what did you say? I didn't even... Bagel maker. Oh. <laughs> Obviously. It's specific. You're not a baker. No, a bagel maker. maker. Yeah, it's a it's a very rare art uh, that some people have. So <laughs> moving into the improvised bomb, what did you make of the final standoff and what happened afterwards as our big finale, our big climatic finale? What did it did it work for you? Did it make sense to you? Like did it go yeah all, all those questions I mean short answer yes long answer I was expecting a big I mean like they were gearing up for essentially a war and they had this I don't want to call it a fortress because it certainly wasn't but like they had a warehouse a, fit for a militia yeah they yeah. had some pretty epic resources the militia house and the fertilizer and all the other stuff I love that they came up with the plan that they did because it's very in the moment explosive not thinking of like the consequences of like who's gonna put two and two together that I'm a landscaper and I'm, you know what I mean <laughs> right, right. which they talk about but like I guess what I'm getting at is it was satisfying yeah um, to have that like big standoff guns blazing like it felt very like wow west um and again it made again and again it made sense because 
this wasn't just a place they had. This was a place that yeah. Buddy Lee's half brother, who is in another gang or militia type setup, stockpiling. is stockpiling arms. So it's like, and, and Buddy Lee crosses a line with him in order to get that, basically puts himself in danger to, to get them those keys to get him that warehouse. And, you know, that and- could have went poorly as well, but he's definitely done he's out of fucks to give for sure. Yeah. And I, I appreciated it because I felt like Buddy Lee was kind of coming to terms with like the other members of his family, not necessarily being the greatest. Yeah. And he was like kind of over all that. So it's like a win-win where you get to destroy the biker gang and you get to destroy the armaments of <laughs> racist fucks. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Now, I will say my first note was I did feel like it was a little bit of a too much of a feisty in Bo. Um, as you, as <laughs> you touched on, feisty. as you touched on after the big standoff and everything cools down, um, the detective LaPlanta comes and visits Ike and makes the point you were making about, oh, it's like a improvised fertilizer bomb. He's like, oh, that's, that's where weird. would I ever get my hands on that? They're like, you know, and blame it all on Buddy Lee, which like. Yeah. Really probably would have been like, please. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he'd love the story for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's like, fuck yeah, give it to me. But it was, it was a little like, and the guy's like, I'm going to keep watching you. And obviously he, uh, Ike managed to turn right off because he was able to do this before. And now it's like, it, it almost healed his family, obviously yeah. where his relationship with Maya, you see it just in the brief paragraph or two of her coming in with Ariana and, and that, and you see how much Ariana means to him and that kind of light that has now been added to both their lives again as that part of Isaiah, again, their house was burned down. So they lost basically everything they had, but they have Ariana who is yeah, Isaiah's, you know? Who's part of him, yeah. And I, I gotta say there were a couple of moments that I was like a little nervous about. So one is an 1.5 or 0.5, I'm gonna have two points, but 0.5 point sure. is that... <laughs> And we talked about this before, but like the, or you read it in your recap of spoilers, but like when the, how, when they got their house burned down or when their house burned down and the um, Buddy Lee and Maya were like, we got to, oh, Maya was like, we got to go. That was infuriating. Yeah. Like everybody knows it's a trap. <laughs> Don't go. And then when Maya was in the hospital, I was like, super nervous that she wasn't going to make it I was like legitimately scared she was going to die because I wouldn't put it past this author to like kill a character yeah or have somebody like come in and you know offer after the surgery something you've seen that before too yeah totally so I was really nervous about that and then I was also really nervous like after the big climactic firefight when Grayson's still alive and he has Ariana I was like what the fuck? Like you didn't make sure this guy was dead. Like what? Well, they did. They did talk about how like a lot of the bodies nearby the warehouse were like weren't much of bodies left. <laughs> yes. So I do get that, That's but true. yeah, I was the same way. I was like, why? I get it. You how? don't want to expose a three-year-old to that carnage, but why yeah. are you leaving her alone back at the car? That's obviously going to go they, they were like, they were like, okay, we're gonna go, whatever, and they left her there. I was like, hmm. She could, I mean, even if she just like got out and walked somewhere, still not right. cool. Like, not that she would, but you know what I mean? Like, well, and that's to, to me, that was the interesting thing because Buddy, Buddy Lee's illness made it obvious to me that he wasn't going to make it out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of this. And so then when he does, I'm like, okay interesting where are we gonna go with this all right and yeah. then Grayson comes back and I was like oh he's not gonna make it out of oh. this part okay cool which like 
again, the feisty and bow, but to be honest, like I just had so much fun with it in general. I kind of didn't care. Yeah, me neither. And it worked that again, one of them had to make that sacrifice. There was like, they left a wake of like 30 bodies, maybe more, you know, like that's, that was one thing I was getting with the investigation thing where like, was it believable at some point you're going to catch a bullet if there's that many flying at you. I mean, like even at Tangerine's house, like how more people weren't shot is like, yeah beyond me I mean exactly. sorry Tangerine's mom that's yes she seemed like a not great person anyway no so. she didn't seem great <laughs> <laughs> no but I like I'm really excited that this is going to be made into a movie I think it definitely lends itself yeah to that and yeah. I'm like trying to think in my head who would be good cast for for everybody <laughs> I like don't know enough actors i feel like to really nice. last time we did this it did not go well for us when we tried to cast Addie, Addie larue remember oh yeah we tried to do that on the spot that was uh, rachel mcadams shout out to her oh, uh, the last thing i wanted to touch on in spoilers was the growth um that we saw from both ike and buddy lee throughout the book what were the things that stood out to you obviously other than the growth that happened but like the the, the were there situations that stood out to you that you were like yes okay like good I'm seeing this from you oh my god like everything there was lots of little moments I mean in terms of like understanding his own racism there were lots of moments for Buddy Lee um like you were talking about where Ike was explaining like how he like what kind of time he would have gotten if he'd gotten I mean I think he even said like one of his buddies got like five years for weed or something yeah which is like fucking real (laughs) and the fact that buddy lee just like even little bits their interactions about race were really just phenomenal mostly because i guess so like stone cold steve austin about like all of his deliveries and like you were saying buddy lee's like jokey and stuff and then it's like maybe i shouldn't be joking about (laughs) right yeah yeah (laughs) and he kind of like comes to realize i mean a little bit of his like him and ike actually becoming friends and like learning about each other and their I don't want to call it idiosyncrasies but just like their personalities yeah un- understanding each other more because again like basically yeah. they met at the funeral they, yeah and, you know, they, they so. did not know each other and like I just I liked their relationship their friendship growing at the same time that they're both sort of like recognizing these flaws in themselves and then, yeah, I think I said it before about how specifically Ike has these like thoughts about things that he said and his thoughts are in like Isaiah's voice. And that was just like, so cute. And like such a nice way to do that because he, both of them have such love for their sons, but like are so upset at themselves <laughs> for not having recognized that they were wrong. And, and Buddy Lee even says that at first, I think he says, you know, I loved, um, I love Derek so much that I just, sh- I shouldn't have given a shit who he, who he slept with. And at this point I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about any of that if I could just talk to him one more time or yeah. whatever. So, and his, like I said, I, I think because of his circumstance with his death kind of coming and everything yeah. else, he was more accepting to that. So he was kind of helping Ike with that acceptance and his yeah. anger well then also realizing okay i still got more room to grow with definitely the racism stuff oh, as, yeah. you, as you talked about when he when they show up to his half brother's 
dock or whatever to get the keys for the warehouse, the, the militia armaments. He, his brother, half brother is talking shit about Ike. Like, how dare you bring that guy here? You know how I feel about them, blah, blah, blah. And Buddy Lee's like, you need to shut your fucking mouth pretty much. Yeah. And, and showing how, you know, a, a month or so ago, he wouldn't even have thought anything of that. But right. now it's like, now he, now he understands what, what that kind of thinking actually means. Yeah. One of the big things that stood out to me was when Ike goes to the barbershop uh, to meet with Slice to yeah. talk to him about meeting Mr. Producer to find Tangerine. And he's sitting there waiting in the barbershop chair and there's a row of guys, you know, getting their haircut and all this stuff. And they talk about, you know, well, if you have a gay son, it's really the father's fault. It's how you raised him. You got to, you got to raise a man into him. You got to beat that shit out of him. You know, it's obviously their fault and all this stuff. Like, and Ike doesn't do anything. He like, he doesn't do anything. He goes and has the meeting with Slice. And I'm like, come on, I come on. She's like, do something, do something. And when he comes back out, that's when he gets in the guy's face. And it's basically like, you don't know shit. Like, fuck you. You wouldn't care about any of that. And like, he's releasing some of that inside of him. That's showing I was wrong. Like yeah. I, I, he's seen, like mad at himself. Yeah. It's, he's yeah. seeing that reflection of himself and saying like, I, I wish somebody probably would have done this to me because yes. maybe it would have helped me. And yes. he's not doing it for that reason. He's doing it no. because it's somebody that he can verbally punch and get some of that <laughs> anger out. But I was just so happy that he actually said something because I wouldn't have again done that before. No. And I will say that it did make sense to me that he did it after the meeting, because like, if he like yeah, I didn't want to cause a stir. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, I was but just like, I, I was just worried he wasn't gonna do it. Yeah. So I was like, come on, Ike. <laughs> You've got to say something about this. No, I I just appreciated too, like the growth that Ike has. Like, I'm only talking about Ike because he survives, but like that growth and that sort of understanding sort of leads him to a better relationship with Maya and a better relationship with Ariana and like obviously not too little too late but like too late to have it with Isaiah of course but like take what you can get you know what I mean and like any time that you can change for the better is good yeah and you see it it shows in practice their growth when they when Maya after she treats Tangerine is the one that tells them that she's a transgender woman and they're confused by that still because they don't understand that that's not something that they've um or someone that they've been um around before interacted with yeah but neither one of them is angry or judgmental Um, right they're like very still like you know treat her like a woman like uh, maya says she identifies as a woman you you know treat her that way and they both do and it's like okay like we're still looking out for you and it's like we really want you to uh, you to tell us who this guy is but you know we're still caring for you first which was good to see that it wasn't just them growing through talking like they actually learned you know that in practice in practice as well so I I liked that I loved that and I also wanted to just point out how great it was that like in that very feisty and bow way at the end how like Tangerine is working for him instead of Jazzy and how like that connection he was like where can we take her and like as soon as they were like we need to take her somewhere safe and like Maya's explaining it has to be somewhere that's an ally and I was like Jazzy (laughs) (laughs) and that's where they went and it was very satisfying um but I just loved and I liked how at the end he was like tangy instead of like like short and and it's just this like cute little family and like how she calls ariana little bit yeah yeah 
And uh, and it was good for Tangerine too to have that acceptance because she had yeah. it from her friends, but we saw we Not saw that with her mother. Um, yeah. She still referred to her as Terry, which Tangerine says is her dead name, um, right. and all that. And her mother refuses to accept her that way. So it was good to see that she had found some allies as well through this obviously yeah. terrible, horrible experience. Yeah. But hopefully, is is better moving forward for it. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch about the growth, and this wasn't a good moment for Ike, but when they go to the uh, gay club as part of their searching of breadcrumbs, uh, they go to a club that the boys used to go to a lot where they think they met Tangerine. So they're going there asking about Tangerine and this guy that is there tries to pick up Ike. And Ike just- Very minimally, I will say, it wasn't even like a hard come on. That was like a very soft- yeah he didn't I think Ike was giving him like body hints and then uh, of like get away from me kind of like tensing up and all that stuff and then I think the guy like brushed put his hand on his shoulder or on his arm or something like that and that was when Ike snapped and he he didn't like beat the guy up but he kind of like pinned him and and kind of like yelled at him and all this stuff and uh, it was for me I was wondering if there was something in his past that brought that up but we never got into that but the other side of it was, I thought it made Ike way more believable because oh, really? while he is dealing with all this growth and everything, we know that he doesn't go his, from zero to 60. Like. Right. And, and we know from how his flashbacks with Isaiah, it was something he was very uncomfortable with. Yeah. So it would make sense that he still struggles with that. So while it was a bad yeah. moment for Ike and not something, you know, that you'd want to He's focus on, yeah. I I appreciated that it, again, like we talked about with the character building, it made him more believable as a character totally. because you wouldn't expect him to just be like, Oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Like the, all yeah. that years, the years of my life I've gone through feeling <laughs> this one way, everything's fine now. So I, I just appreciated that that was in there to show that they were still human and that they hadn't totally. gone um, a 180 on that overnight. Yeah. And I think that that whole thing kind of was also helpful in his growth for him to recognize that like whoa he still has like some issues and then he really needs to like not keep that in check but just like he wasn't I think at some point he's reflecting on that whole moment and was like basically telling himself that like none of what he did was necessary like he wasn't actually being like threatened like to just take a chill pill and like again with the character growth like amazing that the self-reflection it has or it takes to have that conversation with yourself after like you know assessing a moment that went down and being like well I was wrong and I think he also recognized that he talks about how you know he went over to the two guys at the bar first and they kind of were like blew him off and whatever and then he went to the four guys at the table and like a couple of them actually talked to him. I think one of them's name was Chris. And he's like, oh, he seems like a really nice guy. Like he's being helpful. And he's like giving him some information about Tangerine, like not spilling the beans, but he's at least, you know, talking to him and kind of understanding where he's coming from. And then once he attacks that guy, Chris is one of the ones that's like pulling him off and he sees just the complete change in his demeanor. And I think that's a bit of his wake up call too. how he talks to Buddy Lee about how his experience with law enforcement or whatever is different from his and how uh, Ike is always on edge and never feels safe. And then he yeah. sees that from somebody else's point of view where this is a safe place for them. And now you've come and, and you've brought that violence it. in. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of, that's also the eye opening thing where it's like, I guess I'm not I've been on the receiving end of this and now I'm on the. Exactly. Now, now I can 
kind of see, okay, this is where Buddy Lee's coming from. And yeah. now I see that, you know, I, I don't know everything or whatever. And again, it's with all this stuff, it's, I think it's just incredible to have it in a book in a way that is just bringing it to light because totally. as Ike is learning or as Buddy Lee is learning, the readers hopefully learning as well and hopefully <laughs> seeing that maybe there's stuff that has happened near them or with them or whatever that they can be like, oh, okay. And open their eyes a little bit to that too. So yeah, um, it was like very deep, but it was also very hopeful. Yes. And again, it was, I think we talked about it with the house and this really, it's maybe where it wasn't like in your face, down your throat with yeah. this kind of stuff. It was just part of the story and yeah. it was kind of giving you that bit of that life that you probably don't have experience in, or maybe you do. And, and you just are seeing that um, well, through these characters. And I appreciated that it was sort of like the inclusivity, but with someone who's struggling to be inclusive, because I think that that's probably representative of a huge portion of the population, <laughs> you yeah. know, that like, that that struggle is something that they're, they don't have an understanding or want to have an understanding or whatever. And I just appreciated the hopeful side of it to me. It was that like these two characters, Ike and Buddy Lee started out as like basically homophobes that were just so pissed off that their sons were gay and now are like probably, well, Buddy Lee's dead, but <laughs> he was a pretty good like they, ally. By the end, they became allies. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think that's great. And I think it's important too that it showed it both through prejudice and ignorance. Yeah. Uh, because there is that prejudice that's always there, but sometimes it happens through ignorance too. So it's important for people to take that step back and be like, holy shit, I didn't realize that. Well, and I think that that's something I really liked about Buddy Lee's um, dealing with his own racism that he like, you know, Ike is telling him these things and he's like, this isn't even something that I realized was a thing. You know, like he grew yeah. up in a household where like, being super mega racist was something you didn't it didn't even have that term because right. it was so normal and he like now has this ability to like step back and look at all of that and go whoa yeah exactly and that's I just I just very much appreciate that whole I'm just I'm so impressed with these characters yeah all around just uh really good writing on top of that which is something we always crave and again it's you know in Virginia that this book takes place so it's some place that you kind of know um or maybe you do if you're from there but mm -hmm. it, it's it's again he created this world within our world that then you're that's part of it too you're working with our um reasoning and our beliefs and all that stuff and he still built these incredible characters you know dealing with our laws of reality and all that stuff so it's, it's an incredible bit of writing when you have to stick to things that people know you can't just be like oh and then you know it rained candy because that's what happens up. here <laughs> yeah so um I didn't have any well I have one last thing for spoilers um I didn't know if you had anything before I got to that I'm trying to think oh just one little snippet about a character that we didn't really touch on was Jazzy and like the moment when the biker gang comes to Ike's business and like tries to threaten him and it doesn't go well and she's all like I'm gonna hold a gun to I just like chef's kiss to her and like the characters again like even just the little bitty B characters that are like an aside to the story were phenomenal and very compelling. And Ike makes it a point to say, you know, I try to hire as many ex-cons as yeah. I can, 
uh, to give them that second chance I was looking for. That being said, Jazzy is not an ex-con because then she can have a He's gun. Not a gun. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. another one of those things that, again, makes complete sense where uh, it, it fit into the story very well. And then Jazz, again, going with the realism, has a breakdown from that. He's and, like, and I can't handle. Basically tells him, yeah, I, I can't keep doing this, even though he basically felt like she was a, a daughter to him almost. She had been working with him for so long. And, and that she's was a huge still loss. kind of in his life. I mean... Yeah, I think after everything settled and Buddy, quote unquote, Buddy Lee took care of everything. Right. Uh, yeah, I think she felt comfortable, but not coming back to work, but still being in no, his life. Still being cool. of yeah, it was just, I mean, very much feisty and bow, but I like, it just it made me happy. So yeah. Sad. And it was, it was good to see, again, him get the drop on the bikers where they didn't know he was an ex-con at that point. So he surprises them with uh, how he attacks them, basically doesn't get afraid of them and their lead pipes and thinking they're going to beat up the store. He takes a machete out and basically holds it to Grayson and is like, get the fuck out of my store. Um, So on that point, my one additional spoiler that I wrote was Gerald Winthrop is a piece of shit. Uh, 17 exclamation points, but it's kind of, it's exactly what we've been talking about all along is the reality of this. And his character is so believable with these bullshit stances that he preaches in daylight and does not not follow because we hear about these people all the time. They exist in our world. Um, These these hypocrites and, and pieces of shit that are just out there trying to make everybody else feel like lesser or not even human. And then are basically doing all the things. What's Sorry, that? The highest population of which are likely politicians. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It made sense that he was running for office. Yeah. And he, the, how much he treated Derek and, and basically cut his mother out of his life for being gay. And she was responsible for that, too. She she chose the new lame. husband over her son. That sucks. Yeah. Um, but that happens, too, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. so it's just... I hated that fucking guy so much and it made so much sense for him to be a villain. And again, it's the believability in the characters where you can stop and say, I think I've heard a story like that before. No, I know I've heard (laughs) a story like that before. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard of people being that way um, for sure. So I fucking hated that guy and he's a piece of shit (laughs) and And I I will treat him like a real person. Fuck that guy. (laughs) For real. I also feel like the sort of psychological damage that he did to Tangerine, like, saying all of those things and like she legitimately believed that he wouldn't do something like that yeah which is ignorant on her part she kept saying it he can't be he can't be the one behind this and it's like no he killed your friends who were trying to help you he's trying to kill you he's killed your mother like if he's a public figure or being the public figure that he is how would she not know his like normal stance how would she not see the hypocrisy herself do you get what I'm saying? Like, I, but maybe it's one of those things where you learn it afterwards. You how, meet somebody. But, but how? How do you like? You know who he is. You know that you can't like be telling people that you're with this guy because he's this prominent public figure. And if he's a prominent public figure, like, do you, are there not like news things about him or political ads where he's saying gay people suck or whatever? Like, but that could have that could have been different too for her. Where like maybe at first she knows that he's married, right? So they're keeping it quiet because right. because he's married. And, and then she finds out who he is later. But by that point, again, if, if he's killing her friends and her mother and she still thinks it's not him, at that point, she definitely has a warped view of him in her mind, yeah. for sure. And who knows what he's been telling her, right. um, you know, that he's going to do or take care of her or whatever. You know, it's yeah. love makes us do some some dumb things, for sure. So, yeah, I don't fault her for that. But I just no. really... 
That guy was such a piece of shit. I hate him. Oh, total piece of shit. Yeah. She's damaged now because of that. It's like PTSD. So that is going to do it for this book. Um, A lot of talk about the realism in it. It was really incredible to feel these characters. And again, just these are people in our real world. We could see different people in them in from the most minor to the major characters. So uh, we are now going to move out of spoilers and we are going to finish this book by giving it a grade if this is your first time listening we have our grading system based on a dnd uh, d20 scale so one is bad 20 is good and then we add or subtract points based on a modifier or ability check from the game so with that taja do you want to go first or second i'll go first okay what do you got i like wishy-washy between giving it a natural 20 and a 19, but I think I'm gonna just roll with a nat 20 because I like really, really loved this book. It was just, the writing was phenomenal. The narration on my audible version was so phenomenal as well. It like really felt immersive. Um, Like I was saying, I listened to it like in the house, which I don't normally do when I'm doing an audible book. And you mentioned at camp because you had listened to it before camp. You were like, I almost restarted it immediately. I did. I was like, I could probably listen to this again, which like the only other one that I've done that with, or I haven't actually done it, but wanted to do it with is Project Hail Mary, which was the other audio book we did when we did our podcast. But I, I just, the realism, the character growth, the characters themselves, how they were written. And it's just like, it was very, his use of similes was heavy, but satisfying. <laughs> and it, it just really worked with everything from, from a visual standpoint. Um, so yeah, that's a natural 20. I'm gonna give it a plus two for intimidation, one for each character, one for Buddy Lee and one for Ike because they were pretty badass. And just the whole like, we're ex-cons and we know what we're doing and we're gonna fuck you up was great. I mean, who doesn't love a like well-justified retribution story about loving your sons? It's just, it's it checks all the boxes from a good read standpoint. Yeah, that's, that's what I got. Nice, so 22 overall for you. I was doing the same thing. I was waffling between a 19 and a natural 20 for this and the thing that sold it for me was I said, okay, give me a takeaway. Give me, give me a negative aspect of this book. And I couldn't think of one. So for me, it's also a nat 20 and getting back to the other book I did this for, which was the house in the Cerulean sea. And we talked about it then. I think it's gotta be more than a book. It's gotta be a message as well. And it's gotta be something that you come out of feeling somehow differently about something for. And for this, obviously it's those kind of getting through to people with those prejudices or those ignorances and that message that again is in there it's not being beat down your throat it's just there for you and it's real it's real and how it's explained how it comes up in all these different real life scenarios and can show kind of shine a light on that stuff on top of that the writing is incredible um just in how it's done the realism of it everything like that like I said uh, before I'll definitely be going back to check out Blacktop Wasteland and then be kind of on the lookout for more of his work because this guy definitely impressed the hell out of me with that 
my modifier, I'm going to give it a plus three for the wisdom that Buddy Lee and I gained throughout the book. I felt like that was important as they were kind of learning along with us and growing and all that and, and becoming better people by the things that they learned. So for me, and this is a first for the show where we both have given something a natural 20. So this is officially the best book of the podcast right now. Uh, but for me, it's a 23. So definitely, I mean, I feel like everybody was recommending this book when it came out last year. Yeah. You see it on all the, 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 all the Instagram feeds and reads of people that it, they've read. Yeah. yeah. So if you haven't read it yet, you need to check it out. So good. Uh, it is so, so very good. So a 22 from Taja, a 23 from me. Check out this book, find it wherever you can. I will give you my copy and Taja will listen to it with you. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, on that note, we're going to move away from the book and we're going to finish up with our segments. First up, we have current selection. Uh, Taja, what what have you been getting into this month? Well, I read um, one that you lent me in a dark, dark wood, which uh, I enjoyed, but it wasn't like... I don't know. It was good. It wasn't great. I thought, I think I said this too. I thought it was a better hunting party. Yes. I think that is a very, there were a lot of hunting party vibes and it was good, but it was also like kind of not predictable, a little bit predictable, not as much as hunting party, but it also had moments where I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But yeah, it was fun. And I appreciated how that was written just because the the main character who you said you didn't really like was remembering with us. So that was interesting too, because it made her, in multiple times, she questioned her own sanity, which then I was like, holy shit, if this is really written like that, where like maybe her memories that she shared with us that we think are real aren't real, oh, oh, that that'd be fucking sick. sick. And yeah. I can't imagine writing that. It didn't turn out that way. It wasn't but that way. <laughs> it was that I was like, I'm building with you. I'm building with you. And then it was like, no, it was kind of what you thought it was. So the main character, I did find her really annoying. But I also did very much appreciate. And I feel like that's why it only took me like two days to read because of the like time jumps and like the different rememberings and stuff. Like it was definitely, it hooked me in terms of the story. Yeah. Even though I was really annoyed. Nice. I feel like I listened to some things. I listen all I'm currently listening to a boy and his dog at the end of the world, which is literally what it is. <laughs> they didn't have to try too hard for that title, huh? No, they didn't. Um, but uh, so far it's interesting. I mean, obviously like an apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic type um, story. It's interesting. I listened to How Dogs Love Us, which is the neuroscientist like studies his dog's brain like in an fMRI. So like when the dog is awake, it was very interesting, very like sciencey, but pretty cool. And now I am currently reading the coolest cover ever. That is aggressive. <laughs> it's wow. so cool. So there's a wolf. <laughs> it also has like this really nice like feel to it yeah it's huge and it's interesting like I don't know what's a good so Neil Gaiman had said something about it as well realizes anything token made Salman Rushdie uh, said a fabulous reimagining of Africa but highly original its language surging with power its imagination all-encompassing Marlon is a writer who must be read and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So the front one said gripping action pack, the literary equivalent of Marvel Comics universe. Okay. Yeah, 
And that's one of the things that struck me also the cover. How'd you come across it? You just see it in the store and, and pick it up um, or did somebody no, recommend I think it I to you? Saw it on, nobody recommended it to me. Like no person I know recommended it to me, but I think I saw it on social media. Nice. Uh, like a few times. But yeah, it's uh so far it's it's interesting. It's I'll put it as weird and different, but I think that's kind of what they were going for. Okay. So yeah, um, so I'm enjoying it. And then I'm trying to find books to put on my Kindle. <laughs> nice, nice. Even though I don't have enough to be read books already. But. Yeah, you know, if they're virtual, they don't take up, up as right. much space. So that's right. nice. Uh, my month, I started off strong with a random recommendation. So I won't get to that first or I'll get to that mm-hmm. last. I also picked up uh, The Osiris Ritual, which was by George Mann. That was a, a Hobbes and Newbery uh, story that you had picked up and given me they're Did you fun. like known better um i it's about meh, the same yeah meh. i mean that's like, kind of how i felt about it too yeah like, it's an interesting world i just don't think it's like dive into enough like, yeah and like some of the gentlemanliness of newberry kind of annoys the shit out of me and the will they won't they is oh. it goes too long in a book you know, like it's, it's like it's they're like, trying to be Mulder and Scully, but they're failing. Yeah. And it just it's it's too much. It's going mm-hmm. on for too long. And like mm-hmm. they, their their relationship hasn't progressed at all. Although I guess at the end he does find out about her a little bit. So oh, there okay. is there is that. But I still it's like, meh, you know, it's, it's yeah. one of those ones that if I came across another one, I'd maybe pick it up, pick it up to throw at the end of my TBR pile. But it's not something I'm going to be like diving into to look look for more on that note as well i read uh foundation and empire the second book of the foundation series by asimov and i found it for two bucks i said oh i'll give it a try i want to see what's going on especially after watching the show i was like okay maybe i can get an idea of where some of those ideas came from in the in the show maybe they were in the second book it was it happened um (laughs) like my good reads on twitter i said i think this is the end of my foundation journey the second story was the mule. It was incredibly long. And yeah. I called the twist ending like a hundred pages in advance. It probably not that because it was only a hundred pages oh, long, no. but it, it was like, what? This is, this is very obvious. And granted the book was written in the fifties or sixties. So, yeah. you know, whatever, but there's still some of that. There is a female character that gets to talk more than once. So you would wow. be happy with that, but it was still like, even though it's space and galactic empire 4,000 years in the future, it's still like, well, she's in the kitchen making us dinner. And, you know, she was doing this and it's like, okay, you're really spreading those 50 vibes on, you know, 6,000 BC life or whatever, or AD life, whatever. It's just like, this isn't really doing it for me. One that you had given me a long time ago, because I went back through my TBR and I was like, okay, some older books that I've had forever. (laughs) I got to move on. Uh, Children of Blood and Bone. Oh yeah. Uh, by Tony, Tony Ediyami. I apologize. No way I said that right. Yeah. Um, Tommy Ediyami. Uh, but still probably didn't get it right. But I really <laughs> loved the world building in that. I love the story behind it. I was very interested in it and how they kind of weaved in the mysticism and the history. And uh, there's so much in that that I really appreciated. I will say act two freaking dragged for me when I started <laughs> again I guess it's because I have this cold cold heart but where they started with the will they won't they between the two characters uh, who were like uh you know they were enemies it was enemies to lovers you just see that trope which is apparently a trope that like everybody loves <laughs> and it just went on for for way too long um where I was like this is and it, like 
it's just we had to see it from the other two's perspective too, the two siblings perspective as well where they're like oh i can't believe it and the brother hates the guy <laughs> and the sister like it's just that kind of dragged a little bit so i, I slugged uh i got sluggish in the middle and then act three picked up again i think i'll continue the story if if, if she is but uh that not, it started off so strong and yeah. then it kind of died a bit in the middle so that kind of bummed me out but it is what it is so now I am on to the Tamarer series uh, by Naomi Novik, which Tonja had let me borrow. So um, I breezed through His Majesty's Dragon. I'm now in the middle of the second book, uh, The Throne of Jade. I, I really love Lawrence and Tamarer's interactions. Yes. Um, this second book, they're on the ship to China and it is dragging a bit. And I'm like, okay. And, and it's a nine book series. So I'm sure they're setting up a lot of things for later and we have to deal with their relationship and their emotions and uh right now it's a little rocky between Lawrence and Tamarer and you know it's it's interesting to see how that's going but I also find myself putting it down more than the first book where I was like let's go this is really yeah. awesome that makes sense I'm trying to think how did I do this I think I listened to the first two and then I read the middle five and then I listened to the last two yeah, I, I, that sounds about right. Or the last one. I remember you went back to listening to it because you yeah. missed the narrator. He was so, great. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple within them that dragged a bit for me as well. There's like parts in some, like I found that like the like in the later books, there would be like a lot of filler for a little excitement little payoff yeah yeah which is kind of I think why I liked going back to the narration because it like a, you I could, could do two things do at once that but also like there's something to be said for the like not the drama of it but a little bit of that you sure. know when somebody's like narrating it they've got their accents they've got the like emotion behind things and like it just is more satisfying when the story is a little bit slower and I don't know if it changes, but like the chapters are 30 pages long and they do have like some breaks in them. But like, that's usually my go-to is I try to read a full chapter every time I pick up the book. And this one, I'm definitely like, okay, I gotta, get, I gotta get to a page break. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> wow. Okay. There's a lot, yeah. a lot happening here. So um, we'll see. I brought the first three books with me down here. I'm still going to be down here for probably another week. So I expect okay. to get through those. And then I think it will be a good break uh, yeah. to get into something else. And then I can go back to those. Um, so don't yeah, need to I digest all nine at once. I would read a book or two, read our podcast book, go back to Tamara. Like, yeah, nice. Around a bit. It was probably good to take breaks. So the last one I read during this break was what I'm going to use for a random recommendation. And I picked it up first during the break because it's 700 pages and it's Stephen King. And I had no idea how long that would take. Silly me, it took like four days because it hooked the hell out of me. So the book, as you can see, oh, I should is, have brought it for you. It's all right. I didn't tell you. Uh, I had, I've already given it to Taja in our book swap at camp. So the book is Desperation uh, by Stephen King. This is the twin to the book, The Regulators, which he wrote under Richard Bachman that we covered in episode, I want to say eight, nine, somewhere in there. So Earlier. go back and listen to that. But this book, it was just like a trip because uh, it was incredibly fucked up with the imagery that it had and some of the things that King just put these characters through and thought of for these characters to do. Please. I was like, dude, no. what the fuck? And this is like 1996. I was so gonna the, ask the you. world is completely more fucked now. And so I was <laughs> like, 
whoa, man, like what, what are you getting into? And although he did use the same character names as he used in the regulators and Tack was the kind of evil mind worm that he was in the other one there. Oh, like, so Tack was the same. Tack was yes. Yes. And no. Um, okay. so, so yeah, tack, tack is the, the villain in it, um, but it's not, it doesn't work the same way as it did in the regulators. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so it was, there was those ties and like it happened in Nevada, which if you remember in the regulators, it was traveling through Nevada was where they picked up tack and at right. the, at the old mine. So that origin story is still there, but huh. kind of everything else about it is, is different. Like tack got out a different way kind of situation. So huh. <laughs> completely fucked up. Uh, it's like 700 pages, like I said, but I couldn't put it down. It didn't have that usual lull that King has where he just goes off in the middle for a hundred pages of like <gasps> what they did on Random a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the fuck was that about? And he's like, I had to hit numbers, man. I had to hit numbers. So, <laughs> um, I, I really liked that one. And like I said, it was something I breezed through. I, I started it first cause I was worried I would need a week or two to read it. And, and it just went through. So, yeah. and I'm seeing it everywhere now. Like, I don't know really? what it was. I like, I've seen the regulars and desperation all over used bookstores when we go to them. I feel like I at least see one every time. And I'm like, well, if they're yeah. in the used bookstore, somebody was like, no, thank you. I don't want this anymore. How dare you? Maybe they just found it in a loved one's belongings. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Because they're old. Like they're old books. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. So definitely check that out. That is our recommendation for this. We now end the show. Thanks for hanging in there with what we are reading next. And this is one that Taja is very excited for. And it is going to be different than what we normally cover. So this is West with Drafts by Linda Rutledge. This is, a, it says it right there, part adventure, part historical saga, and part coming of age love story. So I believe it Uh-oh. is a historical fiction. I believe it is. Okay. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it's not a nonfiction. Um, uh, it says this is a work of fiction. There it is. So it's a historical fiction. It's an emotional rousing novel inspired by the incredible true story of two drafts who made headlines and won the hearts of depression era America. So... Um, in case you didn't know, Taja loves drafts. There's her draft tattoo. So she, did somebody get this for you? Did you find it? Yeah. So my coworker, well, my boss's mom had suggested that I read it because she read it and loved it. And then um, Barry's mom sends us care packages for every holiday because we're adults. And um, yes. and it's great. Who does? Because she's love doing it packages. for all the grandchildren, so she might as well do it for you too. Too. <laughs> Bryce Bryce gets things in the package. There you um, go. Um, but yeah, this was just in there because when you have a spirit animal, you're very easy to shop for. It's true, accurate. Yes. Uh, so yeah. we're ex- we're excited to bring that to you. Uh, programming note: we will we will hell or high water hit the next uh, two week mark. And then yes. July, folks, prepare yourself now. Um, July, the plan is to be going to Australia and Taja's going on a two-week road trip. So if we can somehow work schedules out where we can get one recorded, we will, but probably you'll be with us for July. So you got one more coming and then you'll have a month to just read your own books and then come back and listen to us uh, come August. So we will see you guys in two weeks. But for now, this has been the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. Keep Keep reading. reading.